All right, we're going to dismiss all of our children now to go to Promised Land. And thanks again for the great singing and the presentation. All right. have to get my clicker. So uh, for those of you that have been around for a while, you know that I have a habit of forgetting my glasses. And when I saw all these glasses up here, I was excited. I was thinking, I'm going to be able to read today, but uh, they took them all away. All right. But I have mine, so we're good. I'm going to be reading in just a moment from Matthew chapter 2, if you want to read along with me. Uh, I had the opportunity recently to go to something that I've been wanting to go to all my life, and that is a fashion show. And believe it or not, I was able to have runway seats. So I'm right there at the runway, and I'm watching these bone-thin women walk back and forth on these six-inch heels, and I'm marveling that they're not falling over. And they've got this, you know, hair that is in styles that I've never seen before. And it was a fascinating experience. And I don't usually tell untruths in church, but I just did. I have never been to a fashion show, and if God loves me, I never will. (laughs) But I say that to say this. Let's suppose, let's suppose that my wife just loves fashion shows. And let's suppose that she has been asking me to go with her for a really long time. And because I want to try to accommodate what she would really like to do, my heels slightly dragging, I go to a fashion show with her sometime. Which, by the way, she doesn't care about either. So we're just supposing. Here's the runway. Yeah, there's the runway. Go ahead and walk it, Sherry. And so I, I sit there and I'm polite and I'm nice. And Sherry is ooing and aahing at all the fashion that's going by. And then later we leave, we get in the car. And uh, she's just animated and talking about her experience. And she wants to know how I felt about it, what I thought about it. And, you know, I work real hard and think. And two or three positive things come out of my mouth. And I'm hoping that conversation is over and we go on with the evening. Now, I say all that to say this. That is a lot like some of us when we go to church. A lot of times when we go to church, one spouse wants to go. And they value what's going to be happening during that hour. And they ask their spouse over and again, you know, would you go with me? This is going to be an important time. I'd love for you to be right there by me. And because, uh, you know, you, you want to be a good spouse, you kind of go along and you reluctantly heel slightly dragging, come in the door and you kind of go through the whole thing politely and nicely. And then you have to get in the car and you work real hard. You say two or three nice, positive things about it. And hopefully that's it for a while. And I don't mean any of that critically. I don't have a value for fashion and for fashion shows. Just just the way I am about it. Some people don't have a value for God or for church or for worship and for gatherings of church people, things like that. And I understand that. In fact, I've been in some gatherings I didn't value very much, you know. But uh, I I get that. I don't mean to be critical about that at all. But what I, I do want to raise to the surface, I want to raise to the level of your consciousness. 
Do you really want to know and experience God? Aside from the fact of what happens with church and church people and religion, is it intriguing to you? Is it of any interest to you? Who is God? What is God like? How does one experience God? And maybe you're honest and you just have to say to yourself right now, you know, I've been there, done that. It really is not of that much interest to me. I mean, literally, we should be honest about it because, you know, God knows our heart about it. We're surely not fooling him. And I'm not making a case for being, you know, rude and crude. Polite and nice is great. And I appreciate all the politeness and niceness in the the room right now. But let me ask you the second question. If God or the things of God are not of great value to you, what have you found to be? of greater value and greater worth than God. Because whatever you have identified, whether that was a conscious identification on your part or whether you just kind of slid into it by default, whatever that is, you really need to take a good, long, hard look at it to see, is it really worth that high of a valuing on my part? Can it be sufficient To address issues and concerns in my life. We're going to do a reading today from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2. And we're going to see the story of those three wise men, as we've come to call them, who had a high value for finding and experiencing Christ. Look with me in chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east. We have come to worship him. And when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Kind of funny when a king gets disturbed, the entire city does too. And when he had called together all the people's chief priests, And teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ, the Messiah, was to be born. Verse 5, in Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. So then Herod called the Magi secretly. And found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me, so that I may too go and worship him. And after they heard the king, they went on their way. And the star that they had seen in the east went ahead of them. Until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. And they bowed down and worshipped him. And they opened their treasures. They presented him with gifts of gold, of incense, and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. 
So I know, so familiar of a passage, but let me just encourage you to think with me for a moment, a little outside of the box. When we get to verse 10, and I've given you a little more literal rendering on the screen, you need to see how those wise men reacted, the Magi. Now, recall that when they saw the star in the east, it just appeared. They got some coordinates and they took off on a journey going where they had last seen the star. It wasn't like you see on some of your Christmas cards where a star is in front of the the wise men leading them all the way to the manger. The star appeared and it was gone and they began to make journey for who knows how long. And then when they get to the proximity of where they had seen the star, the Jerusalem-Bethlehem-type area, they don't know exactly where to go next. That's why they began to inquire in the city and inquire of Herod. And then the star reappears. And we're told that when they saw the reappearance of the star, they rejoiced exceedingly. It's a very emphatic word in the ancient language. They rejoice exceedingly with great joy. Now, I don't know what your stereotype or what your image is of these magi, these wise men. But I have tended through the years to see them as rather stoic and uh, probably for good cause, because a lot of the movie depictions, you know, when they when they come up to the to the Christ child and to the holy couple, you know, they are very stoic and very methodical and very worshipful. They're laying all this, you know, treasure before the Christ child in worship. But uh, when I read these words in this verse that they rejoice Exceedingly, This means they were very exuberant. That means they were like over the top of how they normally are with great joy. Here's how it translated me. Yes. Yes. And maybe with a little jump or two. Okay. Yeah. And then they go. And they bow before this child. It just kind of raises the issue and the question. What's the exuberance level in your life these days? What's the joy level? What's the celebrative level in your life these days? That's an awful question to ask in December. I know because we're like harried and hurried. We're running all over the place. It's crazy. And a lot of us, you know, we get to the point where we say, you know, really, all I want for Christmas is I want some of that joy that everybody keeps talking about because it seems to be so Elusive. When we have a belief, it impacts our behavior. Just does. If you truly believe something, it impacts the way you behave. So, if you believe that cooking is a delight and you enjoy it, then you do it. You don't just verbalize and say, I think cooking is great. You actually cook. 
And, and you uh, maybe read books about cooking and watch it on the, the cooking channel. And you talk with people about recipes and when this one turned out really, really well and when that one didn't turn out so well. And uh, it's just there for you. Or let's say you're in the football I mean, when you enjoy football, you watch the game. You don't just say, yeah, I like football, and you never see a game. And not only watch a game, but you care about all the nuance of the game. And you're watching who's playing what position well. And you'll comment with those that are watching the game with, with you uh, how he did that well and how uh, that you know, made that breakaway possible because he fulfilled his assignment and so on and so on. And you care about who's uh, headed toward the championship. And you read about these things and you watch Sports Center and you have conversations about it because you enjoy it. You believe it's fun. At the very same time that somebody else is in the room and couldn't care less about it, theoretically. <laughs> so, why? Did the wise guys get so excited? Because they believed they were going to behold the Christ. They believed that they were going to get to see with their very own eyes and experience with their one and only lives a special manifestation of God. And I just want to submit to you that if you don't enjoy God, if you don't enjoy the things of God, if it doesn't stir delight in you, then it's a belief problem. It's not a God problem. It's not even a people of God problem. And there's plenty of problems with the people of God, with church people and all that kind of But that's not, that's not it. If I really believe and expect that I'm going to have engagements with God and that it's going to be sweet, it's going to be rich, it's going to be important, it's going to be profound and penetrating to my life, then I like to do that. I enjoy doing that. The psalmist who knew God, loved God, enjoyed God, said it this way in Psalm 27.4. Here's one thing I ask of the Lord. This is what I seek. Let's just pause there for a minute. If God approached you and said, here's a blank check, I'm going to let you ask one thing. Ask any one thing you want to ask of me. What would you ask? Here's what the psalmist asked. Here's the only thing that I ask of the Lord, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. All the days of my life and to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Now, if you're a little bit cynical, you can just immediately dismiss that as romantic ancient literature. But for those of us that know God in a personal kind of way. And do life with God and enjoy God, we get exactly what that psalmist was talking about. There is nothing that compares to being able to be intimately in the presence of the almighty, eternal God. 
And the psalmist said, that's all I want. If I have that, I have everything. Just to be in his presence, to dwell in his presence, to, to have a glimpse, a little gaze of his glory and his greatness. Here's how David said it. He called God my exceeding joy. Again, one of those over-the-top descriptors. Exceeding is tame in English. David exhorted us, serve the Lord with gladness. Be glad about that. And then he prayed, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. All of our days. Now listen, I'm not so out of touch that I don't know. We have some pretty bad days in there. Some of those days we get really bad financial news. Some of those days we get really bad health and physical news. Some of those days we have really bad relational news. And what the scriptures are advocating is that it is possible, even in the most difficult of circumstances, to experience and to engage God in those very difficult and even sorrowful times in a way that your heart is still delighting in God and glad in God. Jesus said, John fifteen 11, I've spoken to you. So that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is why he came. This is why he gave us his words and holy men of old recorded them for us so that we could have his joy. And his joy coming into our life would make our joy full. Jesus endured the cross, Hebrews 12, 2 says, for the joy set before him. Now, just let all that was a part of the cross flash to your mind. The scourging, the beating, the jeering, the ridicule, the nails, the, the hanging between heaven and earth on that piece of wood. Gasping and dying in your last breath. He went through all of that. The scriptures say, for the joy set before him. So obviously, sometimes joy is kind of a happy, giddy, laughing kind of thing. And then other times, joy is something way more profound, way more deep and penetrating that can take place in us even if we're on a cross. Because of our being with and fulfilling the activities of God in us. Jesus promised to the faithful, to those who would daily take up their own cross and follow him and deny themselves. He promised, enter into the joy of your master. Matthew twenty-five twenty-one. Any of that ring true? For you. Uh, bring it to your mind. Let it come to the screen of your mind. What's the, the difficult, the tedious, the kind of tormenting, 
the quote, pay the rent, end quote, kind of stuff you've got to do and go through and experience. The coming of the Christ declares that you can know the joy of the Lord even in such times. In fact, Nehemiah said it this way, the joy of the Lord is my strength. That's how I can persevere. Blaise Pascal, a 17th century mathematician and philosopher, said, All men seek happiness. It's innate. It's just how we're wired. We all are hedonists by nature. We want happiness and pleasure. He said, This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The will never takes the least step but to this object. What object? My happiness, my pleasure. Pascal said, even the one who hangs himself has done so for his own happiness and pleasure. You go, I don't think that's too happy of a scene. No, it's not. But in that moment, in that mind, it was preferable to going on the way life had been. Now, C.S. Lewis helps us take that to another level in terms of Christian theology. When he points out that we are commanded by God to delight in Him, to have joy in Him, to be happy in the Lord. Lewis said, it's a Christian duty, as you know, for everyone to be as happy as he can. And he means that in Christ, to be as happy as you can in Christ. Now, think with me about it this way. He he uses the word duty. Men, let's suppose that your wife has let it be known to you that she would always and every time like to have a kiss goodbye or a kiss when you return home. And so you understand that's a hope, a desire, an expectation. Uh, We'll use Lewis's word, duty. Now, that kind of duty uh, cannot be fulfilled in a reluctant way. Oh, okay. See you. Bye. (laughs) Missed it. That wasn't fulfilling the duty because the duty has inherent to that delight. That it would be my pleasure to kiss you goodbye. And if I were to kiss my wife goodbye because it is my pleasure to do so, then I have fulfilled that duty. And that's what C.S. Lewis is getting at. With our hearts toward God. That we are happy. It's our duty to be happy in Him. He said all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. So here's how you know what you enjoy. What do you talk about? What do you get animated about? You uh, get animated and talk about uh, meeting a deadline and fulfilling a project. That's 
what you're delighting in. You go, well, I sure grumble a lot about it. Well, you're still delighting in it. You get animated and, and you talk about what's going on with your kids. You delight in them. You get animated and you talk about what's going on uh, with the stocks that you're trading. Then that's what you delight in. All enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. And so, here's a heart check. If God and the things of God are not in your conversation very much, not much delight there. Not much stirring and, and uh, seething through your life like that. Psalm 1611 says it this way, In your presence... Is the fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forever. And the question before the house is do you believe that? Because if you believe that, it will impact your behavior. The things you do and the ways you spend your time and the, the way you use your resources. Now, C.S. Lewis also said, If we consider the promises of reward, God gives all kinds of promises to those that faithfully follow him of various rewards that will happen, some temporally here and now, most eternally then and there. If we consider the promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the gospel, it would seem our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. Now, what does he mean by that? He goes on to illustrate it this way. Imagine a child who has never gone very far in life, never had any kind of travels and been able to see other kinds of places. And so the child is very content to be at a little mud puddle and making little mud pies, never knowing that there can be a holiday at the sea. And so the child's desires are too small, not too great, because the child can't conceive of something better than the little mud puddle making the little mud pies. And Lewis said, it's not that we desire too strongly. We desire too weakly. We settle, he says, for a little money, for a little sex, for a little ambition, when there's ever so much more. Like a holiday at the sea. The old Westminster Confession begins. And some of you come from traditions where you could have quoted it. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Now that conjunction is an interesting word. Because the authors of the Confession said man's chief end, singular, not ends, plural. So they must be talking about one thing. Man's chief end, singular, is to glorify God. And John Piper says it's the wrong conjunction. It should be the word by. Man's chief end is to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. So you can bring great glory. You can fulfill the duty of your one and only life to extol and to exalt and to glorify him by 
delighting in Him, enjoying Him, celebrating Him, doing life with Him. Piper said, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied with Him. We delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses it, but it completes the enjoyment. If I'm delighting in my kids and I start telling you about that, I'm not just expressing it. I'm continuing the experience of it. I'm completing it in me. If I'm delighting in the Lord, enjoying God, doing life with Him in a day-by-day kind of way that stirs His joy in me, then I give expression to that. And it makes it even more full in me. So, what will you do with what we've been talking about today? There could not be a more important time than right now, this season, this Christmas, to decide to do something about this issue with God. Will you confess that Jesus is Lord? The word confess just simply means agree with. And so if I confess Jesus is Lord, that basically means I'm agreeing with God. God says Jesus is Lord. I agree with that. To say that he is Lord is to say he is preeminent, that he's supreme, that he is the most important person, the most important thing in life. And whatever the most important thing is, I must find a way to build my life around that, around Him. And so I'm going to ask you today, this is not for you to tell me or show me anything. This is for you, between you and God. Will you believe that? Will you confess that? He's Lord. He's preeminent. He's supreme. He is the most important, indispensable person ever. I must build my life around him. Secondly, would you pray for restoration? Because you see, when we don't build our life around Jesus, we build our life around something else. Or we build our life around someone else. And so for me to confess that he's Lord means at the same time, I'm going to tear down. I'm going to remove whatever I have made too important. Now, if I've made my spouse too important, I'm not going to like discard my spouse. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking more of a demotion than a disposal. (laughs) Just, Just being clear. But that means that something is being demoted or or placed in a different position, and my life has to be rebuilt around Him. And so I'm I'm asking you today, most important thing you, you may have ever been asked, will you confess and agree that Jesus is Lord and most important? And will you pray, God, build my life around Jesus?
And then third, this is the last thing I'll ask. Would you practice delight? You see, you never learned how to delight in fashion or cooking or sports or business or even children. You never learned how to delight in anything without learning. There are certain kinds of practices and and ways that you engaged whatever that began to activate your heart to delighting in that, to enjoying that. And so would you practice that with God? You don't just default into delighting in God. You don't just drift into delighting in God. It's something that happens as you are building relationship with Him. And one of the primary ways that we practice delighting in God is worship. It does include this gathering on a Sunday, but it includes so much more where everything we do, our work, our family life, our social life, our recreation, whatever, everything we do, we do it as unto God. We do it in a way that engages God. We do it in a way that enjoys God. Now, for those of you that don't care anything about sports, this is probably incomprehensible to you. Some of my best experience of God's on the basketball court. I love playing ball and enjoying God. Now, those of you that are not musicians, you may not get that. But when someone gets to sing or play their instrument to give expression musically, they get to enjoy God through that. And so it is if it's the cooking thing. Uh, some other kind of recreational or hobby thing. Everything we do, the work thing, experience, engage. You go, well, I, I don't even know if I'd always know how to do that. That's why God gave us each other. Because we help each other with that. We encourage one another in that. And if you don't have a church family that you regularly engage with, then you just need to know how welcome, how desired you are here. So the connection card that I referenced earlier today can actually be a worship tool for you right now. On the back, I indicated you can indicate prayer requests there. And maybe you want to ask us to pray for you about something we just talked about. Maybe you want to say, I really want to have this personal kind of relationship with Christ that you were talking about. Just just indicate that. Let me pray for you about that. Or if you'd like to have a conversation about that, I'd love to have a conversation with you about that. But friend, our souls get sick and tired and weary and burdened and the joy just seems to ooze away from our lives and the heart of Christmas is that Christ has come so that your joy can be full let's pray about that together so Lord I do pray for my friends in the house and those listening to this later That in this very moment, your spirit would be stirring their heart, their thoughts, 
that they would find themselves mysteriously drawn to you. Hungering, thirsting for you. And Lord, I pray that you'd meet them in that hunger and thirst. And that they would know the delight, as the psalmist said, tasting and seeing how good you are. In Jesus' name we pray today, because he's the worthy one. Amen. Amen.